What is up, farts? My name is Evan. I am the editor of Art Farts Podcast, and I am here to let you know that this week's episode may sound a little funny. Um, We had some issues with the microphones that we did not foresee or hear until after the recording, and for that reason, we had to use some plugins that caused the computer to work a little bit harder than it needed to and caused us to not be able to use some of the other ones that we regularly use to get the podcast to sound a little bit more cohesive. So just a note that you may hear a little bit of buzzing or there may be some parts that are louder than others that usually aren't that loud. We really appreciate you stopping in and listening to this. We hope to see you next time. Enjoy the episode. your big day we've been waiting for this for forever my big big day yeah i feel like it's been a while since i've uh said anything ever it has been a while since you've said anything ever are you excited uh, I mean, yeah i'm a little nervous i always get a little nervous that's a big one yeah it's like uh, you know a big one a big one i want everyone to tell me so, uh, I had this all planned. Give me a second. Take your time. I want everyone to tell me one thing that you saw this past week and you said, oh, that's not real life. What? <laughs> when you, you know, do you ever see something and you're like, that's fake. That's a setup. That's not, that can't be real. Um... Yeah, we... Courtney, do you remember that traffic light that we saw? <laughs> yeah. It was an arrow pointing like, I don't even know how to describe this. We'll, we'll post it on the Instagram for this uh, for this episode, but it was just pointed back at us, it felt like. <laughs> driving in Seattle what? was just messed up. Once Wait, I was so driving, how does that... I don't know. It was, it was like you could turn, but be going like the opposite way. They were like, all right, here's the go ahead. <laughs> You can turn, but you can be reversing while you turn. It was, it was messed up. Once I was driving, and then my lane turned into a parking spot. <laughs> what? Driving in Seattle is the most messed up thing I've ever experienced. Every time I drive, I'm like, this isn't, this isn't real. It's definitely different. <laughs> Seattle roads do seem pretty crazy for me, mostly just because they are all... 90 degrees downwards <laughs> that's the true. hills no one tells you about the hills they keep it a secret and Let then you get there known. and then everyone laughs at you and they were like i bet you didn't know about the hills <laughs> idiot you should guess no one told you about the hills huh this is this is worse than san francisco and that's what, what they say they said they say guess no one told you about the hills huh this is worse than san francisco exactly what about you hama what is something unreal you've seen i can't really think of anything um i feel like existence itself is a little unreal okay fair it seems like a cop-out but i'll give it to it you. is a cop-out i don't have an answer uh okay that i'll give it to you um my my thing i was trying to look through my phone to see if there was anything real Real good oh, actually, I do have an answer, but you go first. Okay, I was just thinking, I you already know this, Andrew, but I it snowed here yesterday morning, 
And um, I last time it snowed, my car slid down one of the uh, the giant hills that we were just talking about. And so I've been really nervous to drive to work when it snows. And so I was talking and I was saying, oh, I'll take this road instead because um, then I, I can avoid that big hill. It will add like five minutes onto my time, but it'll be fine. Oh, and yeah, yeah. I put my GPS on my phone every single day when I go to work. And this one time, it's, you know, I whatever, how long it's been, this one time, I was driving the way that it usually takes me because I was like, you know what, I think I can make it down the hill. I changed my mind about taking that road. My phone suddenly direct me to go down the road that I was talking about out loud earlier. And I was like, I think my phone heard me and changed the directions. I, yeah. If someone knows anything oh about God. the phone, the, fo- the phone, <laughs> they're like, phones I mean, listening like, to you. No, phones are definitely listening to you. Like, this, it's pretty much proven. It was just like, it was like, this can't be a quince- coincidence. I can't say that word. Coincidence. Quininky dink. That's how I <laughs> fix that Quebec. problem. Quebec. This can't be Quebec. <laughs> Quebec City is where where the last scene in in Catch Me If You Can was filmed. I can't believe it's Whoa. not Quebec. I can't. <laughs> I can't believe this isn't Quebec. It's Quebec Coy. Me when I think I'm in Quebec and then I find out I'm not in Quebec. <laughs> when you're in Montreal. <laughs> That's so me. Okay, Andrew. What's That's so me. What's your unreal? Um. Okay. So this one's a little more creepy than anything. Um. But this happened no more than like two hours ago. Um, oh my god! Fresh. I was I'm I was in my house, you know, chilling. Um, my dog started barking at the window, which you know, not uncommon. She she does that a lot. Uh, you know, something moves outside. Something she she hears something she doesn't like. She starts barking at the window. Um, so I go I go over the window to see if I check it out, and I see this this dude walking down my street um with a flashlight on um and you know my street's a cul-de-sac so like people aren't like no one's walking through to get anywhere yeah um you know obviously most people if they're walking they're gonna walk in they're gonna go to the cul-de-sac and turn around or anything but not a lot of people walk down here because it's a Mm cul-de-sac um and so this guy's like kind of like zigzagging across the street like walking really weird um once he gets to my driveway he like for a second he like and i was at the window and he could probably see me because the lights were on um once he gets to my driveway he like pointed the flashlight down the driveway and started like walking towards the driveway um and then eventually went back and didn't get onto the driveway but then he was like across the street just like walk like walking in this little clearing that that is across my house um and i don't know he was just like walking around in there it looked like he was looking for something but i don't know what he could have been looking for in there and then he just turned around and That's left so scary yeah it was but creepy i'd freak out <laughs> i would hide under my bed just for just for fun just I can't fit. Sure. Actually, I think I could fit under my bed. Welcome to this podcast where we find out if Andrew can fit underneath his bed. We are only one episode long because it only takes <laughs> one episode to find out. You'll have to spoiler, I actually, I don't think I can. No! Spoiler! I'll, you know what? That's a 
I'll the update. <laughs> I'll update. Um, I'll try to fit under my bed in between now and the next episode. Okay, you'll try. What if you get stuck? Hi guys, we're recording the podcast from underneath Andrew's bed. <laughs> this is actually could beat him, end up being the last one I record because oh, I'm stuck under my bed for the rest. No, of No, we're life. coming down there. Let us in. Down under my bed. Yep. <laughs> down under. <laughs> that actually yeah when when people say the land down under they're actually referring to under my bed that's it's a big landmass underneath there <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well <sighs> thanks everyone for sharing your unreal experiences if you stayed if you stayed around long enough through that intro um this is the part where you get to find out what we actually do here um i guess names would be important i'm courtney oh yeah i'm leanne i am andrew and you're listening to Art Farts. That is where us three farts te- talk. I was going to say teach, but, you know, talk is probably better. Talk yeah. about art. Yeah. <laughs> Attempt to teach you. If you've ever watched Drunk History, it's kind of like that, except all three of us are not drunk. We are just stupid. Um, instead of talking about history, specifically, we talk about art history and art pieces and artists and movements and good stuff like that so each episode is kind of a different little piece um and good for us we'll probably be in business for a long time because art is always being made and forever expansive and we could probably talk forever so i think we're gonna cap out at like episode 52 oh that is so don't ever i'm knocking on wood (laughs) what number is this one this is like 13 i think no i think this is 51 at 15 This is 51. Yeah. We had one more left until no. Andrew got stuck under his bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um. Well, while you're down there, yeah, can you teach us something today? I could try. Some words? Oh, cool. Oh, cool. I have I have a lot of words. I, I've got like six or seven pages of words here. I can't wait to hear um, them. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> hold up, hold up. Well, I have my balaclava on. I got my coffee ready. My jellyfish in hand. What? <laughs> Leanne looks so scared. I got my balaclava on. <laughs> I'm ready. All uh, right, I don't have a children. balaclava, but I'm ready. <laughs> let's, um, let's talk about uh, someone today. Um, I originally had... Wait, I'm so sorry. Right before you start, can I just get the message, the soundboard, message board, the soundboard configured really quick? Oh, yeah. Get that message board working. We have fart sound. Configured. (laughs) You have to press all the (laughs) Applause. Okay, okay. Um. <laughs> okay. I just I wanted to get them all. So if at any point I give you a little sound burst, I don't want to absolutely do the wrong thing when you're talking about something. Uh, that means so much to you. Go ahead. Right, 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 right. Okay. Um. So uh, I was originally I had I was gonna do these other two. I mean I won't spoil them because I'm still gonna do them. Uh, so at some point there were these other two artists that I was going to do. Um, and then I remembered it's black history month. Um, and as a black man, I wanted your identity on the internet. (laughs) uh, I just doxed myself. (laughs) They can see me in the cover. 
There's only one. There's only. <laughs> there's only one black guy stuck underneath his bed right now. <laughs> I'm gonna find you easy. <laughs> That's right. I didn't even think of that. Um, but anyway, I I ended up I ended up changing my topic. Um, and because I, I wanted to talk about the most successful black artist of all time. Um, and that would be uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat. Um, and I wanted to start by just everyone taking a look at the piece Untitled Skull. Okay. Um, We're on it. We're rushing. Oh. And the reason I'm looking at this piece, uh, it's kind of hard to find because a lot of his uh, paintings were untitled and also a lot of them had skulls. Um, but this one in particular, there are some articles about it, uh, so those articles will probably have the right ones in it. Um, but this one in particular is pretty important because it is at, uh, I don't know if this is still the case, um, but I think it is. I haven't seen anything in, uh, of the contrary, but as of May 2017, this is the highest selling U.S. Uh, made art of all time. Wow. Um, selling for $110.5 million. Jeez. Shit. Um, they, have it, they, they have it on skateboards. That's the first huh. thing that came up when I searched it. Yeah, I mean, his his oh. stuff is like on everything. It's kind oh. of everywhere. And I feel like people, <laughs> there are a lot of people, me included, or me used to be included, who have like seen a lot of his art and don't even realize that mm -hmm. it it it's him. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, let me uh, and today I'm gonna kind of talk to you about how uh, he got to this point and why his art is selling for that much and such in his life and things. Um. So as I stated, he is the most successful black artist of all time and it's like i don't even think it's really a competition uh he's probably one of the most successful u.s artists of all time i mean as you can see like his stuff is selling for extremely high mm. um it was just the year before that sold it was estimated for to sell for like 50 million uh wow. and it sold for double that um He's my personal, I I think I'd say my personal favorite artist. Uh, there are some artists that I've discovered through art farts that have become some of my favorites. Um, but I still think uh, Basquiat is my favorite. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, and I started learning about him when I was hanging around a while ago, four years ago, three years ago. Uh, f five to three years ago. Let's give that range. <laughs> oh, that's a big I was, range. Well, I mean, it's you know, um, I was hanging around in New York a lot, and this name just kept coming up. Uh, Jean Michel Basquiat just kept coming up. Uh, I kept seeing his art everywhere, and at the time, I thought he was like this, like niche artist that like <laughs> no one had ever heard of. And, like, I was discovering something cool. Um, and then, like, as I went on, like, I started realizing, like, oh, I'm seeing his art everywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, it, you know, 
places like Urban Outfitters uh, hate Uniqlo. hate to <laughs> reference Urban Outfitters. Yeah, Uniqlo. Actually, fun fact: he used to his first job was at the original Uniqlo. What? Um, That's in, insane. In, in New York, or the original one in New York City, uh, back when it was called Unique Clothing. Uh, oh. And it and it was just like a it was basically just like a big thrift warehouse from what I understand. That's um, so cool. And he would like I think he would like sell shirts that he painted and things. Um, but anyway, uh, he so Jean-Michel Bastiat, he was born in Brooklyn. Um, and as a kid, he spent like most of his time drawing. He didn't really do a whole lot else. Um, at the age of seven, he had made a children's book, uh, not like officially published or published, obviously, but him and a friend made a children's book. And funny, funnily enough, he didn't illustrate it. Uh, he wrote it and then his friend illustrated everything. Um, there's kind of this idea and there kind of always has been this idea that he was like, you know, uh, not well off and from the, the air quotes streets um, and that he was kind of just like a flash in the pan, like, you know, actually didn't really know much about art and just happened to have a lot of talent in it and luck, um, which actually, which isn't the case at all. He was a very highly educated uh, kid. He could speak three languages, I think, um, which is part partly because his father was Haitian and his mother was Puerto Rican. Um, so he had to learn both of their languages. Um, he went to private schools and things. Uh, he could read and write by the age of like four, I think. Whoa. <laughs> um, and he was just a very smart, well-educated kid. And he was also like very intelligible about art history. Um, his mother really supported his love of art and would take him to these galleries. And he has this memory of seeing, uh, I think it's pronounced Guernica, right? Or like Guernica? Guernica. Guernica. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's Guernica. Pablo Picasso. Guernica, <laughs> Guernica. Yeah. yeah. And that's Pablo Picasso's 1937 uh, art. Uh, check that out if you want to. That It does oh, yes. really have a lot of... Um, it, it, when I was doing this, like, I actually, I was thinking of it, and for a while in my head, I was like, that is a, that's a Basquiat piece. And then I was like, wait a minute, no, it's not. Um, that's Pablo Picasso. Um, but that did have a huge influence on his art. Let me take a have, sip of water here. Have you ever watched the video about that painting? What video? There's a movie? movie. Yeah. That's what I was an like. It, an entire <laughs> an entire movie about that painting? Uh yeah, I'm pretty sure. I I've had never to watch even it heard once. Of it. It's called Is it Is it like oh, a documentary movie. or like a <laughs> like a <laughs> um, like a fictional It's about the making of that piece. Mm. I can't find it right now. I'm sure we'll, I mean... One day we'll look see up, it again. Yeah, one day. One day. Um, okay, keep going. His his father, 
while his mom was very supportive and would take him to galleries and stuff, his father was a little bit less supportive. Um, there are stories of even like deep into his career, him him trying him like inviting him father his father to things just to show him how successful he was. Um, there's a story of him being in a diner and running into his father there and like running over to be like, Hey, I'm here with my friends. We're all very successful and I'm very successful. And, uh, he ended up coming back to the table with his friends, like just very deflated. Um, his father really didn't seem to care. Um, and this was kind of part of his early struggles in life because, parents eventually split um and his mom was kind of in and out of mental facilities uh so he really only had his father uh back for a while who really didn't support all the art stuff he ended up uh, running away a lot uh sleeping in the streets at like the age of 15 and things he would skip class and things um and so he had a troubled childhood. This and w- I was gonna yeah. say this seems like a common trend. Was it was it Monet that we learned about whose dad didn't support but mom did support? Yeah, dads do better. The arts do better, dads. Dads do better. Look, the arts have stayed this long. They'll they'll be around still. They'll be around. You can sell a piece for a hundred fifty million dollars. Art is forever. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Just thought about that. No, never never be sorry. I lo- I like the um, you know, the back and forth. Never be sorry for anything. You could kill someone and don't be sorry for it. Oh, you're so proud of me. I'll support you no matter what. I'll support you no matter what, no matter who you kill. Do um, we have to take that out. Do we have to beep all that? Not no. if you don't if you as long as you don't kill someone. It shouldn't be an issue. Yeah, are you worried that that like that's like evidence against you or <laughs> permission? Maybe I don't know. <laughs> I don't think you need my permission to kill someone. You need mine. <laughs> okay, uh, keep, keep telling us the things. Yeah, we're sorry. Oh, oh. no, <laughs> we take oh it back. We take it back. Never be so- <laughs> starts all over um, again. <laughs> Another thing that kind of caused him some troubles as a kid um, was around the age of seven or eight. He said this is like his earliest memory. He got hit by a car. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, And this actually ended up uh, kind of influencing his work afterwards directly because there's some paintings where he literally draws someone getting hit by a car. Oh, my God. but also after he got out of the hospital, his mom gave him a a copy of the book Grey's Anatomy, which mm. just had all these diagrams of body parts and things. Um, and that ended up playing a huge part in his painting. He he in a lot of his paintings, you can see like he obviously, you know, untitled skull. He drew a lot of skulls. He drew a lot of bones and just body parts. Um, and he's got this whole series called the Anatomy Series, if you want to look up, uh, yes. which is like it's pretty simplistic compared to a lot of his work. And they are literally basically just drawn diagrams of of body parts. Um, but 
and these ended up showing up. Things like that ended up showing oh up <laughs> all throughout his work. I love this. This oh, looks exactly like my the margin of my notes in college. If you, no one, you used to draw body parts like that? I was going to say, if well, no one I mean, knows, I, I, guess, I do work in healthcare, yeah. so this was not like gruesome or like, weird. Thing. <laughs> this was in my anatomy classes. This is how I would like draw them, though. Like, it's like she works stuff. in healthcare, but it was also a weird thing. <laughs> it was People also me being weird. Out. It's like, oh my God, I want, I literally would like, I want one tattooed. Like, they're cute. They're cutesy. The male pelvis front view. <laughs> Thyroid. Yeah, I want that one tattooed on my the pelvis. College. Oh. oh my god, wait, this is crazy. For those of you who don't know, I am a speech pathologist, so there's one that he has here of the speech mechanisms and like the parts that you use to talk. And there's just I don't know, there's just things that you wouldn't normally know about, like the cricoid cartilage and the thyroid and the hyoid bone, which is the only bone in your body that's not connected to anything else. Um that is so cool. I've never seen these before. Yeah, I hadn't even heard of them until I was doing this. Um, anyway, he ended up leaving his home at the age of 17 for good. Um, mm-hmm. The year before he was meant to graduate from high school, he just kind of dropped out. Um, oh, so close. And decided, yeah, so close. But, uh, I mean, he's probably ended up being glad that he did yeah um, he didn't need he it he went to pursue art and then in 1978 he teamed up with his friend from school al diaz to create the group samo um and this was kind of his first real artistic advent uh adventure i guess or what's the one i'm looking for venture just venture yeah, yeah. oh yeah venture plan <laughs> plan if we're gonna, um, if we're gonna use fart terms, Ugh. right, right. Aww. Uh, so Samo was basically it was meant to be an abbreviation of the same old thing. I love um, that. I mm-hmm, love mm-hmm. this. And what Samo did is they would kind of tag these downtown neighborhoods. Which, if you don't know what tagging is, it's like. In graffiti, when you graffiti on somewhere, that's you tagging somewhere. Mm. Um, and they do this in this downtown like art area, and they do it everywhere on the subway, in elevators, in in I don't know what are some other places <laughs> walls. They do it there. Um, they do and, it everywhere. But the, what was different about this? Um, was that it wasn't really normal graffiti. Most graffiti was like, you know, someone would write their name or something and have it in big bubble letters and it would look really cool, really colorful. But what they would do is they would just write these cryptic phrases, um, usually involving Samo in them. Um, we just we just found one. Which one did you find? Samo as Viagra for a flaccid society. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Some some of Mm -hmm. my favorites are Samo as an alternative to God. Um, Samo for for the so-called avant-garde. And Samo, if repeated often enough, you will come to believe it. Um, But they also did things like some pretty interesting ones like 
they had like multiple choice ones where it would be like, which one of these things is blah, blah, blah. And then they'd have multiple choice and they have little bubbles for people to fill in. Um, That's cool. And they also use this copyright C a lot, Mm -hmm. kind of in an ironic way. Um, That's funny. I see one one that says eggs, eggs. I like that one. (laughs) eggs 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 and i just saw one that said oh gosh where'd it go it was so good something about anus wait something about anus have you seen the anus one yeah i don't i don't think so whatever if i look up samo anus do you think it will come up i don't know where it just went it was like i just literally had had clicked on something and then from that scrolled down Let's see, it was from Eggs Eggs, I feel like. Yeah. No. I was just going this way, and it came up. God. I will literally, I'll fight to find it. You keep talking, and I'll find it. Okay. Um, so, Basquiat kind of, he didn't really like being boxed in as graffiti, because um, he felt like it was a term that people used to demean art, he felt like people thought graffiti was unintelligent and people thought graffiti was just kind of defacement of property. Um, so he didn't really want people to call it graffiti. He he really thought of it as more than graffiti and kind of poetry. Um, but of course, people called it graffiti, uh, you know, and to this day, he's still kind of considered a graffiti artist, really, when he mm. is a little bit more than that. Um, but these these things, these things that they were writing, the whole point of it was kind of just to get attention, to get people talking. You know, who is Samo? What is that? What does this mean? Um, and it it worked. Uh, people in the area were were just kind of very confused about these things popping up, and they actually would put these like everywhere um from what i was reading it was like hard in the time it was like hard to be in that area and not see uh samo writing on the on the walls anywhere um so he ended up being involved in this community in downtown new york downtown manhattan of about like 500 people who were all in the art scene and they all kind of knew each other um And so slowly but surely, people started to figure out who Samo was. And and oh, no. Keith Haring, I was gonna Keith say, Haring actually has. Oh, what were you gonna say? I was just I was just like from, maybe it was just being at art museums. I remember, they their connection just of being around at the same time and and like oh, yeah. doing public art like on walls and places and stuff. Yeah, they were friends and stuff. But um, Keith Haring has this story that he he at the time he hadn't heard he hadn't met Basquiat but he had heard of him and he had heard that he was Samo mm. um so and Keith Hang was still in school at the time too uh so one day Basquiat I guess approached his school and was like asking Keith Herring to let him in through a door um so he didn't have to go past the security guard uh mm. so Keith Herring didn't really care about it he did he let him in uh, and he went back to class. And then once he got out of class, like an hour later, he was seeing these Samo tags <laughs> all 
all over the like bathrooms and stuff and places where they hadn't been. And he was like, oh, my God, that was Basquiat. That was the Basquiat that I've been hearing oh my all gosh. about. That's so funny. I found um, I found the Oh, you found the, the anus? Yeah. Yeah. It says temple, spine, anus, duct. And, you know, I couldn't agree more. Right? Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out if it's like T-S-A-D stands for something, but it, I don't think it does. And then it says the same-o. Oh, T-S-A-D. T-S-A-D, same-o. Oh, T-S-A-D. Temple, spine, anus, duct. Oh, it's probably, it's literally probably, you know, your temple, then your spine, then your anus. What's my duct? <laughs> What's a duct? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe your I'd holes. Imagine it. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, but I feel like, you know, it was going down, and then like that kind of like doesn't keep going down. At, we'll have to, you know? we'll have to ask someone. <laughs> That's I'll our question to, to the audience. Oh uh, yeah, okay. What do you think duct is? What do you think about this? And it has to be below the anus. Yes, anus. It has duct. to be below the anus. Oh, it's our feet holes. Oh, oh, my it's leg my duct, duct holes. <laughs> <laughs> which are on our feet done. <laughs> i'm cut off uh so in 1979 and this is so this is a year after samo started um he attends this canal zone party which is just like this party with a bunch of artists at it um and you know people know he's samo and the word starts to get around yeah samo's here samo's here um, you know, and everyone at the time, everyone just kind of knew him as Samo. Uh, but he started meeting a lot of people there. Um, and eventually he ended up having like cameos in the like the Rapture music video for Blondie. Um, this ended up getting him like DJ sets and things, and he ended up being in. Uh, some movies at the time, um, small roles. Famous. Uh, but he also started to have these regular appearances on an underground show called TV Party, um, in which he'd often get interviewed uh, as Samo, or, you know, and then also there's some. He basically would keep appearing on the show, but he was just like kind of in the background. There was. It's hard to explain, like, the whole point of it is this guy is, like, talking to people, um, but then there's, like, 20 other people sitting behind him, um, and he ended up being, like, a regular uh, sitting behind him on the TV. Um, That's cool. And so, yeah, he, you know, he was starting to get a lot of attention, uh, starting to get a lot of buzz, getting on some places, all because of this whole Samo stuff. And then in 1980, Basquiat and Diaz have a falling out. No, um, besties. And then, yeah, and then Samo split up, and uh, Basquiat went around everywhere uh, tagging Samo is dead. Oh, um, we saw some of those and, looking through. That makes sense now. That's yeah. Funny. I was wondering, too. I was like, I wonder what, what happened. Yeah, so, you know, um, obviously at this point everyone knows that Samo is no more. And most people haven't really, like, seen uh, Basquiat's, Basquiat's painting and stuff at this point. Um, you know, most people just know him for Samo. Uh, 
here's another like sh- little this is just a little thing that I think is interesting not really too important but uh uh shortly after the uh canal zone party uh he formed a band with uh someone he met there named Michael Holman um and this band was called Gray also named after the Gray Anatomy book Gray's Anatomy book um really short-lived band the whole point of it was kind of that Basquiat and Michael Holman were not musicians. Um, I think Basquiat like played the trumpet a little bit, mm. and there were some times that he was just on a synthesizer, just kind of making noise. They were they they were like a harsh noise band. Oh. Um, oh, that's funky. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, it's pretty cool. There, it's not well documented though. They played some clubs and things, but. You know, it it was very short-lived. He ended up leaving because, you know, he really wanted to focus on painting. Um, And that brings me to talking about his actual art. Because I feel like I I haven't talked, you know, about what his art is. So, Basquiat... Oh, I'll enlighten you, all right. Um, <laughs> that sounded like a threat. Um, and I'm it kind of was, actually. <laughs> okay. Um, so <laughs> he kind of falls into this category of neo-expressionism, um, which through like the 1960s and to the 1980s, it was like this kind of rough art with like an edge to it, a little bit sloppy. Um that was used to basically portray emotions through these images, uh, like strong emotions rather than, and it was kind of meant as a counterculture to what was popular at the time, which was like, um, minimal, minimalism was very in at the time. Uh, and Can you give us like a, a reference for like, what would be standard? What, what? <laughs> Leander's got hurt. I was trying to crisscross what my happened? legs. I hurt my ankle. Oh. No, I'm okay now. Uh, so you're saying for what would be... At this time, like, what was the tradition... Like, what... If I look up minimalism... Art... I'm not... I mean, I I definitely saw some... In the documentary I watched, they had some examples. And... Well, okay, so I can't think of specific things, but it was literally, like you know just a painting of just black just a mm. black painting black square okay. Okay. things oh. like that were popular you know things that were just like a metal pole or something in a, in a gallery was pretty popular that's um, helpful i feel like we haven't really done mi- much minimalism talk yet mm-hmm. so i like don't in the 90s yeah, we've, i don't know like we've like dipped into it a yeah. little bit i feel like cuz you know um Everything is there's a lot of things that are a little minimalist, like Rothko was a tiny oh, bit minimalist, yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, he was also maximalist because it was these huge paintings with a lot of shading and stuff, um, abstraction, and yeah, but it was stuff like that. And Basquiat was very open about not really liking minimalism, he said mm-hmm. he felt like it kind of alienated uh audiences from the art world because, like, it you know, it's hard for 
And I mean, you can picture what most people would say if they walked into a gallery and there was just a painting of a black square. Like most people would probably be like, oh, I, I could do this. Uh, yeah, I, I could do this. Do it. <laughs> it's about the idea, the theory. Then you would have done yeah. it. And I, I think that's what a lot of people don't understand. But nevertheless, he felt like that did alienate people. It was hard for people to get into that kind of art. Anyway, he was influenced a lot by the likes of Cy Twombly, which mm. Cy Twombly is not like a name I had heard a lot until How researching um, researching Basquiat. But like, he's got some pretty cool stuff. And if you like, just look up some of his stuff, like. I, I mean, I can definitely see where the Basquiat influence comes from. Oh. Um, we, I feel like there's a reason why we know his piece is, is he, sorry, you keep, you keep talking. Is he what? What's happening? He's, he's at the, he. <gasps> he's oh, under your bed. <laughs> Uh, <gasps> new ha- <laughs> Wait, but I'm under my bed. <laughs> He's there with you. Turn around. <laughs> if you've ever been to the Yale New Haven Art Gallery, it's free. I I've have. been there a dozen times. There's a giant piece of art on the wall that looks like scribbled on chalkboard. I don't remember it, but I've been there several times. Um, that side Twombly. Can't help but feel like you're making it up. That side Twombly. Look up. Look up. Look up Yale University Art Gallery Cy Twombly. It will come up. It is called Untitled. So that's not really helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Have you, do you remember this? I don't, Um, I gotta say, I don't know if I've been there. Have I been there with you? I'm sure. It's free. I I would go all the time. I don't remember seeing this, but I don't doubt you. I was a frequent frequent member i was a freak i was a freak (laughs) i was a freak for that museum but i i loved his stuff i feel like that's why when you said that name i was like i know that name you had a little spark in your head yeah he's under the bed with you i know him yeah i mean i know him he's under the bed with me yeah that's your bestie he's always been under the bed with me is he dead because that's scary cy twombly Mm mm-hmm i imagine i don't know i I'm think he's he if he's not dead i think he's old no yeah he died 2011 oh, oh my god <laughs> his body is next to you yeah well i've been, i've just been keeping the body for since then <laughs> we're gonna have a nice fresh land burp right there. i know oh. i'm sorry I, I was trying to get far away but i couldn't i didn't know all right get, get um, us back so Cy twombly you loved him Ate him up. Yeah, let's return. Let's return. So. Yeah, so my burp was the issue that we had. <laughs> <laughs> I said an issue. I said a nice little burp from. Oh, you're ends. right. You're right. Um. So, like I said before, like anatomy was a common uh theme in his paintings. There were also things like crowns. He would put in a lot of his paintings. Um, these these stitches with which people didn't really. Uh, know how to interpret them as like stitches or barbed wire or even uh, New York train lines Hmm. um, which they could have been all of them Um, but you know these are things that would show up in like all of his paintings these X's and O's he used like way more words than I think I've 
seen most artists use. Um, and he would cross out like seemingly random things in them, you know, certain letters, he'd cross out certain words, he'd write a word like five times and then cross out like the fourth one. Um, and he, and it, 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 looking at them, it seems very like random. It seems like a bunch of gibberish, but he was very particular about everything he did. Um, and he painted really fast too. He would basically just kind of think of what he wanted to paint and he would just like, I don't know, I guess he, the only way to describe it he, is he'd just do it. Like he'd just be painting all these things. Um, and his and another thing he did, which I feel like is a little unique, is that he would literally he would paint an entire canvas and then he would like paint over it. Um, mm. and, and then he might paint over that, might leave some parts showing. Um, so it looked like different layers upon layers of different works, some of them. Um, he also, he had a history of like painting on anything he could, which uh, I'll get into that a little bit more later. Oh, yeah. And I forgot th this quote um, about the words and crossing things out. He once said about them, um, I cross out words so you will see them more. The fact hmm. that they are obscured makes you want to read them, Ooh, uh, which is so true. true. I love that. He's right. Um, he also had a tendency of paint of painting some of his black heroes there's paintings of sugar ray robinson miles davis uh, muhammad ali um there's this one i wanted to draw attention to trumpet uh called trumpet looking it up from 1984 this is a pretty famous one i feel like so you may have seen it oh yeah uh, and it's i don't know if it's like completely confirmed but i'm pretty sure it's supposed to be a, a painting of miles davis um and so you can see the crown in this you can see the letters crossed mm -hmm. out you can see the layering pretty good example of what he does yeah is there or, is there a basket how do you how, say it again for me how do you pronounce i never pronounce basca. it right basca 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 yeah I'm not good with French. Is there a piece that he's done that's a that's an album album cover now? I feel like yes. Um, I was actually so. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> well, no, I I was literally like about to talk about it. Okay. Um, so like he referenced obviously he referenced a lot of jazz musicians and things mm -hmm. in his work, and it's all um... kind of come full circle now, um, because he's referenced all the time. Uh, and some examples I had were. Uh, Vince Staples song Samo, um, mm. the album cover for Pray for Haiti by Makami. Uh, Arm and Hammer has quoted him and referenced him in a song. I don't remember what song. He's also been the album cover for some jazz musicians. Um, there's like a an official compilation that uses the trumpet as the album cover. Um, so yeah, he he is on a lot of album covers. His work. Um, some other interesting things about his art is he he kind of abused it. Uh, there, there's a lot of paintings where you can like visibly see his shoe prints on them because he just stepped oh, wow. on them. Um, 
and uh, this was pretty common and it makes sense because he really painted a lot like he he probably had f- the floor littered with paintings um that he just walked over that's mm-hmm. wild mm-hmm. and also there's kind of uh, oh also i i found this interesting too he like when he was painting he'd always be multi multitasking he would often at the same time have a book open uh, and reading it while painting with the TV on and also a record playing. Um, Whoa. Yeah. Do you know what kinds of records? But jazz, I'm guessing, maybe? Mostly jazz. Um, mm-hmm. There's actually there's one woman who um, we'll talk about a little bit more later uh, who he was in her, he would paint in her basement and there was, I don't remember what song it was, but it was this one classical song. And she said he would just p- play it on repeat and on repeat and it would drive her crazy. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but there, and one last thing, there's kind of this idea of, of sampling in his art. Um, a lot of them he would literally like, you know, it's, he'd like kind of copy like classic paintings, but obviously put his own spin on it. Uh, enough that you could tell like what it's an interpretation of but then he'd put it into his own paintings um and so it was kind of it's it really was kind of like sampling in painting which i think is really cool that is really cool especially since he likes music that much yeah well exactly uh he he was kind of like a you know he was kind of like a jazz artist of of painting hmm um, so I guess we're, it's t- still around like 1981 at this time that we're talking. Um, at this time he, he's spending a lot of time in the streets going between houses. Uh, he ended up staying with his girlfriend at the time, uh, Suzanne Malik. Uh, he, he couldn't afford, he wasn't working, so he couldn't afford canvases or, or, or anything like that. So what he would do is he would literally go out and just take anything he could from the streets and bring it home and paint on it. And I'm talking doors, windows, uh, garbage cans, whatever. Um, And also he would paint all around the apartment on the floors, on on the doors, on the other things that rhyme with those two. (laughs) And he's got this one, another one, time to everyone get your phones out. Time to look. Um, this one called Refrigerator. Refrigerator. That's a hard word for me to spell. Um, and I think it's the first one that comes up. Um, Wait. Uh, and that was... Are you sure? Yeah, there are some... Um, <laughs> There's multiple. Yeah, I the first one that comes up is the one that was in the house in the apartment that he lived in that's what it looked like that's well, what he painted all on it scribbled over no 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 the, the one that, one that is let yeah the one that has a face and is less okay. scribbled over got it um and th- that was in their house their apartment and he had just painted on that and that's what their kind of what their whole apartment looked like apparently because he you know again he was painting on floors he was painting everywhere i want to do um, that the girlfriend was like this is it was fine. all it could <laughs> Yeah, I and I also like yeah. how how do you do that in, in an apartment? Right, like if you're renting like, it. 
He's like, yeah. don't touch the fridge. It's gonna be. It's gonna have wet paint today. Well, jokes on the landlord because now it's probably worth so much money. Right. Yeah. Well, they might have cleaned it up before he even. Jeez. Oh was no. Which, which is. A, oh gosh. Um, uh, another thing he was doing at this time was he was selling postcards. He would make these little tiny postcards uh, with, you know, the usual art on it. it was, most of them were a little more collage-like. Um, and he would just go around and sell them. And there's actually this story uh, that he, he, and this is a true story. Um, <laughs> he spotted Andy Warhol at a restaurant one day and, um, and he went up to him, and he managed to sell him a postcard called Stupid Games, Bad Ideas, hmm. which, you know, you can look up if you want. It's kind of a, it's really simple, not really much to it. Um, and there's kind of this myth that, which apparently I just learned is, like, perpetuated from the movie Basquiat, which I don't know if you've heard of it. It's, like, it's basically, like, a fictionalized you know, story of uh, mm. Basquiat's life. I've heard uh, good David things Bowie plays it. Andy Warhol. Yeah, That's I've heard it's pretty it. good. Um, but in 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 the movie, um, him selling this postcard to Andy Warhol is kind of what makes him famous, mm. which isn't isn't, isn't the truth. Um, yeah. uh, and also, Andy Warhol, like you know and also in the movie they play it off as like he's just some random guy who Andy Warhol's never heard of when the truth is like Andy Warhol probably wouldn't have bought it from him if he hadn't heard of him um cuz you know at this people is at this time a lot of people around there had heard of him hmm. um i'm going to pause here cuz mm-hmm. i need more water absolutely so i'll be um i'll be right back okay bye that's right, Andrew's finally left the building. It's been long enough. Uh-oh, I'm scared that he might be able to still hear me, but that's okay, because it is time for Courtney's late-night talk show. Um, to, on tonight's episode, we're going to... Um, I'm playing music again. We're going to talk about the uses and need for Oragel. Leanne, any thoughts? Honestly, tooth pain is so real. Um, I think it's a great thing. Doesn't that, is that like what numbs it? And how do you feel about Oragel for different, for different uses? What do you mean? Um, injection, um. For what purpose? Um, into, into your food. No, for what purpose? For making new things. In my, f- yes. You like this? Yeah. And that's, uh, what we're going to do on tonight's Courtney's late night talk night talk show. <laughs> Sorry, I drank too much Oragel before this. I don't know what's happening anymore. And hello, and this is welcome to Courtney's late night talk show. Hosted by me, Courtney. It's totally me, Courtney, right now. Uh, this is the biggest sip of water Andrew has ever taken in his young life. Tonight we're going to be talking about your favorite color... I heard a noise. <laughs> Your favorite color, dice. Leanne, care to answer? Purple. <laughs> some hesitation. Um, like something translucent, maybe with some. Uh... <gasps> oh, I just heard my own voice. 
Who's there? Okay, it stopped. Who's it there? Was, like, coming through. Do you hear that? Ah! Oh, we hung up on Andrew. That's what it was. Uh-oh. Did we hang up on you? Yeah, I don't know. I As soon as I came back, I put my things in, and oh. then it hung up. Maybe it had something to do with me putting them in my ear. Maybe it had something to do with me. You missed Being nothing. Oh. You missed nothing. Nothing happened while Listen, you were I already know about the, the silly little <laughs> show you do when I leave. Okay, where you were we? You can't hide it from I me. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. I don't know, and I wasn't a guest. <laughs> <laughs> we did not talk um, about injecting Orogel or drinking it. What? Or either of the This things. is why I need to be here to, for supervision. Andrew, I'm drunk off the Orgel. I can't see. <laughs> Hello, welcome to Boogie's oh, Late Night Talk Show. <laughs> okay. <sighs> Wait, you just took the sip? <laughs> what have you been doing? What do you mean? I didn't even bring water with me this time. Where I'm in the studio raw-dogging it. That's not true. I had a wow, coffee. I, I had tea, I can't even gone. imagine that. I'm in the studio Ooh. with my balaclava on. My hands are sweaty. I'm in the studio with my balls uh, out. <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> <Aww. laughs> oh, I um, did the boo. I meant to do the yeah. applause. Hang on, guys. Let me press every yeah, single boo. button for the recording <laughs> so I know what they are. Oh, and welcome to Marty's Late Night Talk Show. When we talk about the something that we're going to talk about is what is your favorite butt cheek? Mine is the left one right one for sure right okay yeah i found the laughing button that's pretty good <laughs> okay keep talking keep talking oh it's my left right, i'm let's sorry get, let's get oh oh what you we're say? ready now okay okay um let's get back into it uh so 1981 <clears throat> an art gallery opens uh to kind of display a counterculture, the guy who opened it, I can't for the life of me remember his name, and for whatever reason, I didn't write it down, um, but he basically said he was tired of, of these white paintings by white artists with these white walls and all these things, uh, and kind of just wanted to display uh, some more interesting artists. Mm-hmm. Um and some familiar names that were there, uh, Keith Haring, uh, Fab Five Freddy, uh, Kenny Scharf, who was another graffiti artist, and Andy Warhol were there, um, and also Basquiat had his paintings there. Yeah, that's our guy. Woo! Um, and this went really great for him. Uh, tons of people were showing love for his his paintings i i don't remember if it was this one or the next one but in one of these early galleries he ended up selling every single one of his paintings that he had wow. there and he Imagine. got like yeah he got two hundred thousand dollars i think uh, Le- that night i feel like leanne's a good person to ask about this kind of thing because leanne leanne sells her 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 jewelry on the internet. Imagine if someone bought out all of your jewelry at once. How would you feel? I would scream. <laughs> I have so much inventory. That's crazy. Yeah, oh, I would so also it, be a little I, sad. I'd be like, I have to part with everything now. Mm. Well, then, then you get to make more stuff. True. 
You're the room. Oh, yeah. Um, you said this man was stepping on paintings. Yeah, so now yeah, he can afford for canvases. Sure. Yeah, he had plenty of them. Plenty of paintings and plenty yeah. of canvases. Well, I guess he probably wasn't, like, st- stepping on too many, like, because his paintings were, like, doors and things back then. <laughs> yeah. And he was stepping on the um, bridge. um so he started getting a lot of attention uh but you know there was uh, some of these compliments were like backhanded compliments that he would get um he got this article in village voice which was like this alternative newspaper that kind of covered counterculture um and this was a quote from it i would not have suspected that samo's generally grotty defacements of my neighborhood the (gasps) the the graphic and painterly uh, i think i left some words out but anyway he calls it his samo uh samo's work grotty defacements of his neighborhood his neighborhood and then calls like, Shut up. <laughs> yeah right what do you um, mean and Made then it better. calling him talented hmm. yeah i and so that's what i i feel like graffiti i never understood the whole hate for graffiti and i know you know samo didn't even really want it to be considered graffiti mm-hmm. but i feel like it just makes walls more interesting like right. why do you want like such a barren loserly neighborhood you loser like what does it what does it matter that that brick wall has something on it like it like what what is aesthetically pleasing what does about it a matter? brick wall like right what does it matter that this brick wall looks better now like yeah <laughs> right and it, and it's like he must feel silly now considering that you know considering how famous this artist got and now it's like oh my gosh those pieces must be so treasured that that oh, I'm, in quotes graffiti i'm sure a lot of people feel very silly now i i'm sure there's like some places where it's probably you know ended up getting washed off or something yeah um that they're probably like shit like we should have kept that up there i Um, i feel like sometimes i'll see graffiti or just like public graffiti art that seems more for the thrill of like chasing those locations and you know it'll just be a tag of someone's name in a place that seems really tricky to get to but then i'll see you know yeah more drawings and not that i think of one much different than the other but it's just like the fact that he he was making it as an art and not just tagging like that's i don't know right. it was like <laughs> something it was something profound yeah it was profound and that's silly for someone to be like defacing my neighborhood yeah i don't i mean and again a lot of it was racism probably yeah um there was a lot of like a lot of people would and i'll kind of get into this a little more but he often was described as like primitive art, oh my um, God. like, and I actually saw an interview of this one guy. He's talking to him, and he's like, "So, what? What's with your style? It's kind of like a primitive, like refined." And he's like, and he go and Basquiat goes like, "Primitive, like what? Like like a primate?" Ugh, and so and the reason. guy like, he, the guy started, yeah. The guy started getting like really like obviously nervous and shit, um, and then Basquiat was like, "Well, I mean, you said it, like, so you explain to me what you mean by that." There's also like um, nothing if you're thinking like like 
cave drawings like when if you say primitive art i guess that's where my brain first goes to there's nothing at all similar to it except for the fact maybe yeah. that it's on a, a immovable surface and this and you know this was just the kind of stuff that you know we'd get these backhanded compliments like i said um people would say it's primitive but like impressive um and things like that uh and another thing um actually another thing that was in that interview was around this time he met uh a nina a nina nose who was an Mm. italian art dealer um who let him paint in his her basement and let him use her materials um she bought materials and stuff for him what a baddie um <laughs> she she was the one who was complaining about the music um oh. and then also in that interview you know the guy brings it up like well we heard you were like locked in someone's basement for a bit like making oh. art and and he and Basquiat was like well like that's completely ridiculous like if i was white like you would just call it artist in residence Mm-hmm. Um, and and the guy had like nothing to say to that, as he should. Get him, get him. Um. So I think his first solo, he had his first solo exhibition, um, in her gallery in 1982. And I think this might actually be the one where he ended up selling all the stuff, mm-hmm. um, and getting because I I think when he started working in her stuff, he couldn't afford paint, <laughs> painting equipment, so she was buying it for him. Sorry, sorry. What was that? Was that a sneeze? <laughs> no, it was no. me holding in a laugh. Courtney's playing with this fidget toy, and earlier I was holding it, and I was like, oh, I really want to turn this inside out, but I refrained, and I look over, and Courtney has it fully inside out. <laughs> I don't know how to explain what it is, but it just it was funny. I'm sorry. It's a jellyfish. I'm picturing... Okay, yeah, that's kind of what I was picturing. Yeah. It, but I'm rubbing it on my phone in a very strange manner, so it was only a matter of time before a giggle came out. So I'm sorry. Don't what, what did I? What oh my god! Oh my god! I'm so sorry. Oh, oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my gosh! Oh my god! I can't Never stop! Learned. I can't stop! Yeah, this um, taking video. Uh, so at this point, like he's is like starting to get a lot of success. Um, he's flying across the country. Um, he's flying across seas. In 1982, at the age of 21, he became the youngest artist to ever take part in Germany's Documenta exhibit. Um, he crosses paths with Andy, Andy Warhol again, uh, and he paints a portrait of them together for Warhol. And Warhol notes uh, in his diary, I guess, uh, that he was extremely impressed with Basquiat's speed, Basquiat's speed uh, because he painted the painting very fast. And Warhol was someone who really, really admired speed. Um, I'm sure we'll talking about we'll talk about him in one episode. But like, mm-hmm. I know one thing about Warhol was he really liked to like mass produce mm-hmm. uh, pictures and paintings and things really fast. Um, and so, in 1983, Warhol runs an interview with him for his interview magazine. Uh, 
as a result, Basquiat ends up dating Paige Powell, who is the that? editor for Interview. Oh. She, <laughs> <laughs> who is that? Immediate answer. <laughs> I just waited um, another second. <laughs> she's the editor for Inter- Interview Magazine. And through her, he does some private shows at her place and also ends up growing closer to Andy Warhol. Um, with whom he starts collaborating for a bit. Um, I, at this point, I'm going to kind of like start fast forwarding, forwarding a little bit through his life. Uh, a, lot, <laughs> a lot of this time, obviously, like he's doing all these galleries and stuff. But at this point, he's just kind of like a famous, big famous dude, you know, flying across the country. Um, uh, most people know him now. Um and things like that so you know you get the point um but despite all this the success he still struggled with a lot of things uh, in in 1983 uh a graffiti artist was caught uh spray painting a subway and was beaten to death by oh, police oh. um and he was a he was a friend of mike of of oh basquiat and so basquiat was kind of destroyed about that and he ended up making the piece uh defacement the death of michael stewart which you you know you can go check that one out yeah. real quick the death of michael stewart defacement the death of michael stewart thank you we're typing out rapid fire hmm oh yeah. Um, and he still himself struggled with race. There's this, there's a couple stories. One of which is after a night at a club, he was out out with his friend, and he wanted to wanted to get home, obviously. Um, and he was trying to hail a taxi, and just taxi after taxi was just ignoring them. Um, and the only you know the only reason obviously was that they were black and they just straight up could not get a taxi um and it's like crazy like he's this big famous artist at this point and he's still dealing with these struggles Mm. um another time was he was flying and he ended up he was in uh airport security and he ended up getting hassled by by the security security and they were asking him how a black man with dreads could afford first class oh my god Um, and and they were like trying to stop him from getting on uh like i said before people would refer to his art as primitive um someone uh, at this time he was like getting the name the black picasso uh and he was saying that he didn't really like that like Mm. you know it just kind of put a weird label on him um there was times that he uh, were you gonna say something i was just gonna say he's also barely like picasso like, <laughs> like yeah yeah he, do- he doesn't do well, that you know that collage cubism thing it's just the fact that it's abstract i guess is yeah you know the closest thing they could think of yeah he couldn't be his own person um, Right. Uh, he also, he had some trouble, like, I, I mean, I think by, like, 1983, 1984, um, this maybe had stopped, but for a while he had trouble getting his paintings in, into galleries. Uh, mm-hmm. He tried, like, the MoMA, the Met, 
the Whitney, or uh, maybe not the Met, but the Whitney and the MoMA, and no one really wanted, a lot of them didn't really want to take his paintings because they didn't really fit what was, um, you know, the standard Mm. art that they had at this point, which again was mostly minimalism and stuff. But like, you know, this kind of sucks because it's like, how is, it was like, how would art ever advance if they're afraid to put in something that doesn't look like the rest of everything else in there? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he was having trouble trouble with that. He did eventually get stuff in the MoMA, I know, uh, while he was alive. Um, That's awesome. And his, and for the first time, I think maybe in 1984, he actually had a show that got mixed reviews. He... He, during all this time, he really got a lot of claim. People loved his shows, but for the first time, he got one where people were a little mixed on it. Hmm. Um, and that kind of got to him. Warhol wrote his, in his journal about how uh, it kind of, you know, Basquiat had come to him kind of upset about that. Hmm. Um, but, you know, some good news. He got on the cover of the New York Times Woo! in, this, in yeah. this time, which is pretty cool pretty big and yeah um let me talk a little bit about warhol here do we do we like him yes we we love him um they were very good friends they were like best friends uh for a very long time um and uh a lot of i i think actually ironically i think the new york times had actually put out a piece where they were saying they were kind of criticizing him for hanging out with Warhol and was were saying like Warhol's kind of dragging him down. He shouldn't be hanging out with Warhol and things. Um, and, and that was kind of the sentiment of a lot of people. Um, Warhol at the time was not as popular as he used to be. Mm. And critics were kind of starting to get tired of him. Um, and... But they were really great friends. Uh, people in the documentary, some of, some of his close friends, someone who was close friends with both of them, he had said that like he had never seen either of them be as close with anyone as they were with each other. With each other, um, so they were really really close friends. And they uh, collaborated for quite a bit, quite a long time. And eventually, in nineteen eighty five they went together to do a whole exhibition together um oh cool and most of the most of the paintings in this most of the work in this was like um logos with kind of just like Basquiat's painting over it mm. um i don't know i you don't need to you can picture it like you know literally just a logo with Basquiat painting some things over it was most of it. I'm looking up. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't know. I'm sure if you like. Oh, sorry. No, you go ahead. I was just gonna say I'm sure if you like look up Basquiat Warhol, you might find it. Oh yeah. But maybe not. There's. It's like. It's stuff like. Oh yeah, yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um. What. I was just going to say that I don't like this time period. I don't really know anything about. And so I was I was Googling just Warhol and reading like Wikipedia quick. I didn't know he was gay. 
Yeah. And yeah. I just, this is me finding out that he's gay. I had no clue. Um, but I also, I found the GE, GE logo. Yeah. Done, done in their style. Very cool. That's the only one I could find. Um, there's this one I think might have been from it with a, it's got like a heart on it and then some stuff. Um, uh, what is this? What is this logo? I don't, I recognize <laughs> this logo, but I can't think of what it is. What, the, I don't know. Is that the GE that, logo? That's the one we are, we saw, but Andrew said there's a heart yeah. one. Um, yeah, so that was kind of the gist of that show and everyone hated it. Um, critics, critics really, really tore that one apart. Um, and at the time, Bascot was for a while now, I mean, maybe for the past few years at this point or a couple of years, Bascat had been doing drugs a lot. Um, he had a lot of money, so it was all very accessible to him. Uh, and one, and you know, including stuff like heroin, um, he was really into. And he was starting to get really paranoid of a lot of the people around him. He had starting started like kind of pushing away from most people because he thought they were trying to use him, which. To be fair, like I'm sure a lot of people probably were um, trying to get paintings out of him so they could sell them and things. Um, and this is basically what a lot of critics were saying about his relationship with Warhol, that Warhol mm -hmm. was using him. And he didn't really believe it um, until he had seen like the reviews for the show or for the exhibition. And most of them were just saying that Warhol was bringing him down, was using him that they shouldn't be collaborating together like this. Hmm. Um, so, and that really hit Basquiat hard. He got really, he f was really upset. He started getting really paranoid, felt like Warhol was using him and he ended up uh, distancing himself from Warhol. Um, and kind of just, I think he, after that, he like flew across to Los Angeles and stayed there for a bit. Hmm. Um, and in this time he didn't really do he did some shows, but he was doing a little less than normal. Um, and unfortunately, Warhol died in 1987. And it was before Basquiat could ever uh, go and repair their relationship Aww. together. That stinks. Um, yeah. And so that really upset Basquiat. He was kind of inconsolable after that. Um, Warhol didn't yeah, die. Yeah, he was really upset. He didn't. <laughs> that's a, that's a statement. He didn't die. He didn't die from <laughs> the when he got shot. Right? It wasn't. I know that he was shot, but that's not what killed him, right? It might have been. I know he died in in a hospital. Like okay, he was okay. sick or something, or or injured or something. It might have been from when he got shot, but might not have been like right after he got shot. You know. Mm. Maybe we'll have to do some. Well, some one of us will probably talk about. One day. Yeah, there'll be a Warhol episode, I'm sure. I'm sure of it. Um, so at this point, he like Basca like kind of felt his career was over, uh, despite the fact that like you know people were still discovering his work. There was still a lot of growing praise from his stuff, still a lot of acclaim. Um, he became very reclusive. A lot of people didn't really see him around this time. Um, a lot of his friends, uh, because he just kind of stuck to himself. Mm. Um, 
he did a few shows um but but couldn't really find the spaces but this was actually mostly because the downtown art scene where he had uh started out was booming at the time probably because of him um and the attention that he brought to it mm-hmm. uh so so you know it's hard for him to get solo exhibitions he actually he quit drugs for a while and was doing well and then ended up relapsing for a bit um and in 1988 he kind of resurfaces and does his first solo show in two years wow and people noticed that the paintings were visibly different still great people loved them um but they were a little different uh, there was a lot more if you if you I mean, we've seen a lot of his paintings at this point. Um, yeah. He tends to like fill a whole canvas with color and stuff and a lot of things or at least most of a canvas, you know. Um, but a lot of these ones were very spacious. They didn't have a whole lot of color. Um, there were two specific ones which we will look up. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. A. Eroica, Eroica, E R O I C A. Eroica. Eroica one and two. Let's see. Uh, oh wait, 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 wait. So spell it again. E R O I C A. So interestingly enough, this is. I mean, I haven't looked up. <laughs> I only looked up that thinking it would come up, but it is a Beethoven, a uh, uh, a symphony Ooh. written by Beethoven. Isn't that interesting? I wonder if that's that is interesting. Related. He probably was referencing that. Um, but these mm-hmm. Eroica one and two, they are different. They have this phrase. If you look at them, they have this phrase um, with these little branches. And yeah. under those branches, all of those say "man dies." Mm-hmm. Um, and Morning so, glory, you know, sweet potato. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and so, <laughs> a lot of people uh, they saw these and they w- were, you know, obviously a little worried, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it it was a little dark um, to have all this man die, and he wasn't looking good either. Um, there's this picture of him at the gallery. His hair is like all messed up. You can see like all the spots on his face and things. Mm. Um, and he just didn't look healthy. Uh, so, you know, his friends who hadn't seen him in a while, a lot of them probably were a little scared for him. Um, and then also around this time, he starts like going to a lot of, he starts visiting a lot of people. Um, who he hadn't seen in a while, his old girlfriend who whose apartment he had written all over. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually he went to her new apartment, um, and she had a new boyfriend at this point. And he like went asked to asked her to buzz her buzz him up, and she buzzed him up, opened the and to open the door for him, and he just never came up. Um. And he was just going around to all these people. He went to Aldeas and gave him some paintings. And Aldeas, actually, in the uh, documentary I watched, said that, you know, 
at the time he he actually sold those paintings and he like really regrets it now Hmm. um but i'm sure they sold for good money at the time he probably needed it um but he was kind of going around just giving all these people's paintings and not long after that he he ended up dying of an overdose Hmm. in on august 12th 1988 um and yeah my notes my notes just kind of end there yeah. uh, but you know that that, that was the short-lived career it's like I guess it's really like a a 10-year career and that's it wow 27 wow. 27 yeah he's a member of the 27 club oh it's really sad which, you know to our listeners I feel like most people know but if you don't know it mm. the 27 club is like celebrities who who died at 27 mm-hmm it's probably one of the earlier ones too if it's 1988 yeah maybe oh that's really that's really sad what imagine what would have become of him Mm -hmm. i know he i mean he only had up to go yeah well it's just unfortunate he he didn't really feel the same way i guess at the end well that's a depressing ending yeah, no, I I did actually. I cried at when I watched the documentary mm. at the end. That, I I feel like I I was trying to look up everything as you were talking, and oh, one thing I saw online, bisexual. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I'd heard that. Um, yeah, I heard. I don't that. think he like ever had a boyfriend though. No. Uh, one of the girlfriends all i saw was one of the girlfriends was like yeah he's just he's more attracted to if you're smart and he likes people who have the same amount of pain as him so it's he was like she was like men women and anyone doesn't that make him um pansexual yeah it depends on how you view (laughs) the term bisexual but yes that's for a different episode though this is for a different podcast. Right, we'll talk about uh, <laughs> sexuality on a different episode. That's go go listen to our our newest podcast, Andrew Under the Bed. That's where we talk about the difference <laughs> between pansexuality and bisexuality. Um, <laughs> well, thank you, Andrew, so much. Yeah, thank you. That You're was, welcome. Thank you for listening. I loved that. I learned I learned so much about someone who I've always wanted to learn more about ever since I stepped foot in a Uniqlo. Um, which seems like a joke, but I'm not joking. <laughs> seems like there's a joke in there, but no, genuinely, I loved when Uniqlo paired up with like you know doing their whole artist. You love Uniqlo. I love their like art T-shirts and stuff. So that makes absolute sense. You know how how he was involved there. It makes me kind of want to go go visit New York City too. That's what I just I see that crown everywhere, and now I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's what you know. That's, that's that. what I'm saying. I feel like everyone sees it and sees the work, and they might not know it, but they know it. You think, know it. I think everyone should take the next last week of February or last few days to uh, to watch maybe the documentary and listen to this episode. I guess. Um, yeah, uh, listen to this episode. Watch the documentary. Maybe watch the movie Basia. I haven't seen it, but. All at the same time. I've heard good things. 
Wow. What a what a great what a great episode. Well, that's it. And well, that's it. We're done with our farts. Happy episode Black 52, History baby. Month. Oh, I'm so sorry. Happy Black History Month. I wish he was here right now. I'm just so sad. Actually, he's under my bed too. <gasps> oh my god, Andrew, stop! Him and him and Cy Twombly are both under there. You can't do this. You can't keep doing this. What? Can I mean, no one else Andrew is talking? using the body. <laughs> you don't hear him? No, I thought we were waiting for Andrew. Oh, I can't hear anything now. Oh. Um. Well, how about you kick us off then with uh, something that's wetting your whistle this past week? Is that what we're sticking with? Or... <laughs> I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> okay, well, no, I'm, I'm fine with it. We'll keep wetting. Um, my wi- So my whistle uh, being wet. Um, I don't know. Did I talk about this last time? Uh, I don't I don't think I did. Wong Kar Wai movies. Um, I don't think you did. I've been watching. Yeah, I don't think I did. I've been watching a lot of Wong Kar Wai movies. Uh, he's a Chinese director with... I don't even know. He's like, movies are really dreamy and there's like a lot of cool saturated lighting and they're all like romance movies. It's cool. He plays with time and stuff and the idea of life. (laughs) And love. And, you know, and And I've been really (laughs) enjoying all the stuff recently. Uh, So check check that out. It might be hard to check it out um, if you don't have a Criterion channel. Oh, maybe uh, they want to. Maybe they want to. Maybe they want to join us in our. Do you really want to offer that to no. all of our listeners? Reach DM me personally, and I'll let you know if you can pass. Wow! So, yep. like, some people have to. There's oh, a test. Wow. Okay. There's a test. Yeah, there's a test, and it will happen at the next, the start of the next episode. Okay. Wow. I'm gonna hold you to that. I swear on my life. That you don't really have to put all that on the lines, but yeah, sure. I mean, on your life, your your life is on the line for this. Perfect, perfect. Um, thank you, Andrew. I need to watch the rest of them because I've only seen two so far. Yeah, um, you know, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I've watched a lot of them. They're they're all pretty good. Well, they're all really good. Um. I've almost watched all of the ones that are on Criterion. This should just be a plug for your letterbox as well. Oh yeah, so follow me on Letterboxd. <laughs> uh the my account is just Andrew Hans, I think. That's A N D R E W H A N S. Um Spells let me repeat that again. A N D R E W H A N S. Uh let me make sure that that is my I Perfect. I don't right. know. I'm going to ask Leanne what what's her whistle. What what's your whistle, Leanne? Yeah, ask her. Um, also, I'm sorry if I cut you off at all earlier, Andrew. I, I did, was not hearing you talk for a while, and I thought you were just not talking. I thought you were on straight. No, you didn't cut me off. Okay. So, um, breakfast burritos, which I love. I've been I've I've been aware that I like them. But I just haven't had one in a while, and I don't know why. And me and Courtney, Courtney showed me this place near us. That's like a, like a how how long is the walk? Eleven minutes. Like a like a ten minute walk from our house. It's like a three minute drive, and I can get a really good breakfast burrito. And it's a very small place, and they always have 
uh, Miley Cyrus paused on the TV. Um, and I hope <laughs> that they're not pausing it for us because we also go late, so we're usually the only people in there. But um, breakfast burritos, really, honestly, tomato in it, potato in it, anything. So good, versatile. Um, what else? I had something and I totally forgot about it. Oh, I bought the Taylor Swift folklore record. Um, and that's been pretty fun. That's Ooh. been, a, that's been a treat. I've been, I've, I've discovered that since Courtney has a record player and I'm like, oh, I can buy records cause I live with you mm-hmm. and it's been fun. It's been nice. Would recommend. Are there any other uh, ones you got? Would I, record mend, right? <laughs> <laughs> I have Sour by Olivia Rodrigo. And I have, I just bought, I forget which one, but I bought a modern baseball uh, record at Urban Ooh. Outfitters. That's very that dope, very dope. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the records have been wetting my whistle lately. Wetting. It's been fun. I guess that means it's my turn. Yeah. You're the only I, one left, so yeah. I, I have something that hasn't first that's not been wetting my whistle. I don't know if this can if that is allowed at all, but I when I got a new computer, I got a pair of Beats headphones, okay? I don't have anything to compare them to because I've never owned over the ear headphones prior to this. Um, but I wear them maybe almost never. I only wear them when I'm deep cleaning. <laughs> Um, like maybe, maybe in the, since I've had them for like a year, two years, I've worn them maybe three times. I've kept them in their case. Um, never once dropped them, never anything like that. I went to go put them on the other day. Like they're broken. The, the earpiece is like dislocated from the like band part. And I told, I told our audio guy, Evan, (laughs) I said, (laughs) I said, what, what? I never use these. And they were like, yeah, they, they're known to break almost immediately right away. And I was like, what the hell? I know I didn't technically buy them because they came with the, the laptop, but that's, they are expensive. Why would they do this? So I'm currently on the hunt for a good pair over the ear headphones, maybe ones that are even comfier because the beats aren't necessarily that cozy on my ears. Um, so that's me, I guess, wetting my whistle for something in the future. And something that has been wetting my whistle, um, Evan and I are watching slash re-watching The Sopranos. I have I watched it when I was little, so I don't know if that counts, but I'm, I remember significant events. But um, I'm fully watching it as an adult now. The hype is real, of course. The hype's always real, usually, about these kinds of things. But it is just so much fun to watch, so... HBO, I really do have a soft spot for you. Um, it's unfortunate, but I love it. That's all I got to say. Nice. Well, thank you. I'm sorry about the uh, beats. That's okay. I'll send you a picture. Oh, I can't hear Andrew again. I'll send you a picture. Do you think Bean could have somehow done something? Mm, you'll see. I keep them up on the top shelf of something, and they're in their case. Like, I barely oh, use yeah, well, them. I usually pick Bean up and put him up there. Oh, you know what? It was you that did this to me. Uh-oh. I'm caught. Oh, good thing you're already under your bed because I was going to send you there anyway. That's where I get sent when I'm naughty. 
Well, this has been a great episode. Um, <laughs> I can't hear Andrew say naughty ever again. Um, so I'm ending it right here. <laughs> um, and I can't believe we're the first we're the first podcast ever to have a an episode where where someone's recording under the bed. I actually am like just for the sake of the t- what did you call it from under live from under or under the bed? Yeah. The under the bed podcast. I like kind of want to do that Wait. just because I like the name. Big Bed Collective. Oh. I'll hit you up. Under I'll the hit you bed. Up. I'll hit you up. Don't you worry. You still have you still you still need to look at I'll the- text you after this. <laughs> Cut it. Cut it. Episode's over. Bye. Cut. Bye. Bye.